And so when you talk about the blockchain, essentially what we're talking about is instead of like in the hiring process, instead of a self-reported resume, what if you had a virtual resume, like a digital wallet where all of your skills, all of your rewards and certifications are already imprinted. So when I am looking at resumes, I don't have to like hope that you are honest in what you told me and you in turn are hoping that the job description is going to be accurate to the job that you're doing. You can move so much faster because now you can leverage AI to go out and scrub the global economy to find that one individual that meets your criteria. That was co-founder of the Work3 Institute and the author of the upcoming book, Employment is Dead, Josh Dream. And this was a really fun conversation. Josh is somebody who has spent his career at the intersection of emerging tech and HR and all things people. And those are some areas that I'm pretty curious about. So it was really fun to sit down with Josh and talk about his vision for Web3's impact on the world of work, what the world of work will look like in 2030, NFTs, the metaverse, generative AI, and a lot more. And we'll be right back with that conversation right now. All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams. From the kickoff to weekly update meetings to interview coordination and every step in between, this helps them clearly understand your work style, culture, and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world. Founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next generation HR programs and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I like to nerd out on where the field of work is heading, where it is now, but also where it's going. And that's why I'm really excited to spend some time with Josh Dreen. Josh is the co-founder of the Work3 Institute. He is the author of the upcoming book, Employment is Dead. And he is someone who spends the majority of his time thinking about what is now and what is next. So Josh, man, welcome to the podcast. I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Lars. It's so great to reconnect. I think we did a podcast a couple of years ago, and I already knew that we were kindred spirits when I saw the skateboards on the back of your wall. For those of you just listening to this on audio, me and Lars both have skateboards on our walls. We're very into that kind of culture with some, some neon lights. So it's really exciting to be with you. My name is Josh Dreen. As you mentioned, I am co-founder of the Work3 Institute. We spend most of our time working with organizations to marry Web3 technologies with workforce strategies. Uh, I am co-author of the upcoming book, Employment is Dead, and I hope that doesn't scare anyone away too early in the podcast. Our subtitle is How Disruptive Technologies Are Changing the Way That We Work. So we'll get a little bit more into that. I am a graduate of the Harvard Innovation Labs where we were building an HR tech startup, pioneering sentiment analysis in real time. 
That's just a fancy way of saying, how can we get better at doing employee engagement surveys that are not once a year or once a quarter? We were being very granular with that. And so I have a deep passion for employee experience, employee engagement, and pretty much where HR, the field of HR is headed. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to cover there and we're going to get to a lot of it, but let's go back to basics. I, I want to kind of, obviously just in that bio alone, if nobody knew anything about you, but that bio, you would think, okay, this Josh guy, he's got a thing about technology. He's got a curiosity there. And I want to go way back. Like, where does that come from? Obviously technology has been a passion of yours. It's something that you've really focused your career around emerging trends, digital technology, and Web3, obviously, which we'll get to as well. But what are the roots of that? Where does that come from? Yeah, conversely, right? I feel like my roots are very much people-oriented, human-centric digital transformation is what I care a lot about. I want people to be running at their passions. I want them to be happy in whatever they're doing on a daily basis. And so I think my passion is employee experience. It's essentially what are you doing with your time? Does that bring you joy? Are you satisfied in what you're doing? Or are you just looking for the next big thing? So I think if we are setting the foundation right now, it is that there is a big epidemic right now of employee engagement. It's been the lowest it's ever been. And I know that people harp on it all the time. That's where the technology comes in for me. I just don't think that organizations either care enough to do employee experience design well, or they can't move fast enough to do it in a way that works for a modern workforce. And so we have these needs, these problems that are not being addressed for employees. And if we aren't implementing the right tech solutions to scale our employee experience initiatives, then we can't design that experience and they will just continue to disengage. And so what I think we see today is people are jumping from job to job, being dissatisfied for a period of months, a period of years, and they just take another job, another employment. What I argue is that there's going to be a moment where the virtuous cycle ends and people are not jumping to another job. They're jumping to a decentralized version of work where they can work on their own without a boss. They can have the flexibility and the agency that they're looking for, and they can overall have that satisfaction that they're looking for. And so I dig into Web3 technologies, what it looks like to work on the blockchain, you name it. And we don't have to go too far into it now, but I would say that would set our foundation. Web3, obviously co-founder of the Web3 uh, Institute. For the audience who's not familiar with Web3, let's level set. Like, how do you define Web3? Yeah, it's interesting. We talk a lot about emerging technologies, whether it's AI. You hear about blockchain, you hear about NFTs, you hear about the next iteration of the internet, these 3D interoperable worlds that are immersive, VR headsets, all of this that sounds like an interesting version of what reality could be in a digital space. But I would say, when you look at it as a conglomerate, all of these technologies put together, the, the foundational principle that is driving them forward is decentralization. And what that means is very simply, a centralized world, or let's say like a centralized organization, tends to be a few decision makers at the top of the organization who are making the majority of the decisions 
and putting in the action plans, and that trickles all the way down to the frontline workers, whose main job is just to implement, right? This is a Taylorism version of work where you are simply pressing a button, you're on the assembly line, you're doing your role, and you're doing it in your own little silo. Those traditional work models don't serve us like they need to in the age of information. We are slowing down in the way that we move with agility, our creativity, our innovation, simply because we are relying on the centralized version of work to get things done, which typically starts and stops with a few people at the top. Decentralization, however, kind of disseminates that power and the agency into the frontline workers and the individuals who are interested in unlocking their passions and their talents and their skills by being able to be a decision maker, to be a stakeholder in the organization, to be working in ways that make sense for them, that fulfill them. And so when you talk about the blockchain, essentially what we're talking about is instead of like in the hiring process, instead of a self-reported resume, what if you had a virtual resume, like a digital wallet where all of your skills, all of your rewards and certifications are already imprinted. So when I am looking at resumes, I don't have to like hope that you are honest in what you told me and you in turn are hoping that the job description is going to be accurate to the job that you're doing. You can move so much faster because now you can leverage AI to go out and scrub the global economy to find that one individual that meets your criteria. You can hire them as a contractor, they can work from a project to project base instead of a full-time role. And that way employees now can essentially pull up the app, work the hours that they want to work on projects that they want to work with. And now they are mixing and matching streams of income across several different organizations or DAOs as we call them, a decentralized autonomous organization under a smart contract where they are paid automatically and it's distributed within minutes. So. I feel like I'm getting into the weeds a little bit here, but essentially that's the point is decentralization, is disseminating that power into the workforce. Actually, I appreciate your answer and descriptions there because I think when, certainly for me, like when I think Web3, I think of the components of it, right? DAOs, as you mentioned, crypto, NFTs, AI, the metaverse, et cetera. But those are channels. Those are components. That's not really the fundamental philosophy of why they exist or what it means altogether. I like how you frame that in a way that for me kind of helps me contextualize it in, in a different way rather than like a collective of components. But I do want to get into those components for a minute because I think that like all technology, you've got hype cycles around different things. I remember, and it wasn't long ago, people were spending tens or hundreds of thousand dollars on NFT apes. Zuckerberg went all in on the metaverse and then not all out, but you know, not quite as in. And it, so it seems like there's some platforms like that that have this massive hype cycle that becomes a bubble that feels like it bursts. And then you have other slowly developing. I mean, generative AI and AI specifically is kind of in the zeitgeist right now for good reason, but that's certainly not new. Like this has been building for years and years for people that have been paying attention to the space. What's new is the consumer grade applications of things like ChatGPT and Bard and some of the tools that uh, we all get access to now. But how do you like separate hype from substance when you look at the different elements of Web3? 
Such a great question. And yes, we have exited the hype cycle, if you will. Much to the joy, I think, of some individuals, especially in HR, who are like, whew, didn't have to worry about that tech, let's move on. And, and to be honest, I was all in, I'm still all in, but I would go to these, these metaverse conferences, these Web3 conferences, dozens of them, and you would see these individuals get on stage and they were talking, Anywhere from I'm an engineer in the trenches actually building on the blockchain to here's a really cool piece of fashion, a digital dress that you can purchase. And, and what I heard a lot was we're just not there yet. The computing power doesn't exist yet in order to build a 3D interoperable world. And so there was one particular presentation that was like, we're here on Tuesday, we need to get to Sunday. And that's where the rubber hits the road, what you're talking about, right? Whereas a lot of people were all in on AI in the 80s and they've been all in since then. And now it's just, we're hitting that consumer grade application. And so I would say, I'm glad that the hype cycle is over. You know, It was partially a marketing campaign. Meta had to rebrand and caused this huge wave and everyone jumped in and then we kind of took a step back. And some people went as far, you see a ton of articles that are like, the metaverse is dead and Mark Zuckerberg killed it or it's not viable. And when you look at the underlying components, they still are very viable. They are solving real world problems. They just aren't either fully adopted. And so I would say they exist today. The future always exists in some form and it's just siloed at this point. But I think it's important for us to recognize that those technologies exist, that they are growing. And if you are a company that is looking for a competitive advantage, to lean hard into it. Because um, when we do that, we have a chance to build something new instead of ride the wave of what already exists. Yeah. I mean, I think the metaverse specifically, I mean, I remember early in the pandemic, I presented at a virtual conference in the metaverse and they sent all the presenters headsets sort of rocking the oculus it was a really interesting experience like i didn't know what to expect obviously i hadn't done anything like that before but it felt much more lifelike than i expected to like you're walking around the venue you're facing people you're meeting people much like you would at a regular conference and like yes it doesn't replicate the experience and i'm not claiming that but it did feel a lot more immersive and real and compelling than I expected it to. Like I dabbled with some VR stuff before, but this was different. I think it's interesting. And I think you're right to point out the companies that are embracing this now, it is a differentiator because it isn't something that is mainstream. And companies like Remote, they gave all of their new hires Oculus headsets and you know, obviously Remote, fully distributed company, with hundreds of employees around the world, but they basically, they didn't really use VR headsets for work or the metaverse for work. They created like lounges and game rooms and things like that where at any time, because people were working across time zones, people could just pop in and hang out and play ping pong or whatever in the metaverse in these spaces they designed. And I just think that was a really fascinating way, especially during the pandemic, to allow employees to kind of come together and connect in a more informal and casual setting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is such a great observation and a great experience because I was right there with you, right? The pandemic was moving us digital and we were moving into this world where we were seeing virtual offices pop up. I actually was working very closely with a startup called SoWork where they were building out 
more of the elements of work around the remote tools that they had. When you look at remote work today, it's like you have your Zoom, you have Microsoft Teams, you have Slack, and these are great tools, but they're not a workplace. And I think we can all agree on that. And so we saw kind of this bifurcated movement where most companies were like, let's just go back for a myriad of reasons, right? Let's return to the office because work can get done better there. There was also a group of individuals that say, hey, the benefits of a virtual office and working remote outweigh the benefits of coming back to the office. These virtual spaces are not going away, but how do we evolve the tools into an actual immersive experience where I'm sitting next to my coworkers and I can run up to them and get a quick answer to a quick question instead of having to get on the calendar and find 15 minutes and then talk and it takes way longer than you thought or async communication, which often we lose some of the, the elements that we need in order to be creative and move fast. And so I think we just weren't fully ready to embrace that. And I think we saw the power at least. So once these virtual spaces are better built out and do actually do what they prove, which is greater productivity within organizations, greater creativity, it's just gonna it's just gonna take off but like you said right it was the first time you put on a headset and you're like holy crap i didn't realize how real i can see my fingers moving i can like see real people and we're seeing mark zuckerberg come out with even more stuff on the metaverse to look like a true digital avatar it's here i love to bring my headset to christmas parties and thanksgiving and have my aunts and uncles put it on and realize just how far the technology has come because that's part of the reason why it hasn't taken off is the adoption curve. Which yeah. is, we just can't get mass adoption at this point. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the caliber of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before. I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners, and professionals. One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers, where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week. I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI Learning Lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at amplifytalent.com academy. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I think it also is the computing power continues to get shrink. We're able to have an untethered experience, right? And I think we can do that with Oculus now, obviously. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. But I want to kind of come to another component that certainly had its moment and is having its moment. And I think we'll continue doing so, which is AI and more specifically generative AI. 
And just to kind of timestamp this conversation, because this episode will run in early 2024, and who knows what the world will be like at that point. But we're recording this in December of 2023, and ChatGPT has been on the market for 13 months. Now, OpenAI released GPTs into the wild, allowing any paid user to create their own custom GPTs about a month ago. And... It's just, it's to see the way the space has evolved over just the last year has been mind boggling. And I think the possibilities and the applications for HR are limitless. But I think that too many of us are not yet realizing that. And we're not yet prioritizing, at least setting aside some time in our schedules to dabble with this technology. And I'd love to get your perspective. Like, how do you define the landscape of generative AI today, and with somebody who kind of does have an eye on the future, what kind of conversation do you think we're going to be having in December of 2024? Yeah, pull out the crystal ball and let's look yes. into the future yes. and see what it is. And isn't it interesting too that I feel like there wasn't a time long ago where we could probably guess what's going to be happening. Like it's not going to change that drastically. And then pandemic hit, no one could see that, and the Great Resignation and AI took the media by storm, and understandably so, and here we are scrambling to figure out what it is, trying to find the balance between like this tech magic and like global panic. Like, is AI taking our jobs? Is AI going to destroy the world? Is AI going to control everyone? Like, there are a lot of unknowns. Cyborgs, will there be cybernetic <laughs> organisms, right? You I and mean, I will be doing this. Come on. We will automatically be doing this with our digital avatars yeah, right. in a year from now. Yeah, I guess just for me, it's personal because we are writing a book and we're contracted with Harvard Business Review Press to pull this thing together and help describe what is coming and why we should be paying attention to it. And if you could imagine, like the book launches November of 2024. So what what does that look like? Is book writing obsolete at this point? Thinking that I would say like how much we have le leveraged ChatGPT and some of these learning language models to write the book, to verify the stats, to understand the research more fully. I personally have this like 10 step process back and forth to the point where I'm not quite sure where my stuff starts and where AI ends, right? Like we, we have this moment of perfect human machine symbiosis and it's not always going to be the case. AI needs us just as much as we need them. Like this book won't come to pass unless we are able to work on it together. I think there's going to be a moment though when AI says, look, I got this. You go sit on a beach or do whatever you want to do. And I think that's how we should be looking at it right now is spending time using it. Have it open every day. Like for those of you who have not used it, I guarantee the minute you start tinkering around and start asking it questions, specifically as it pertains to your job, you will start using it. All the smartest people that I know have it open and are using it on a daily basis. And they're not trusting it fully, right? Because there are responses that come back that don't feel authentic, don't seem like they hit the mark. You have to go do the research a little bit more fully. But I would tell you that like my capacity has augmented. And now I have active conversations on ChatGPT on a daily basis to help me do my job. Is that 
scary because now I'm training this model myself to be me and it can make decisions on my behalf. Yeah, that, that's kind of crazy to think that's even an option today. But it's also exhilarating that, that you don't have to go to that meeting. You can send your AI digital avatar that you built through AI and it will do a lot of the autonomous, repetitive work that you don't want to do. So you can spend more time doing what really matters. And that is how HR is going to change. I mean, hearing you say uh, we'll get to a point where AI doesn't need us anymore. I mean, that that does feel ominous, does feel a little <laughs> concerning. You know, you see these letters being signed by you know Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all these people infinitely smarter than I am, warning about the cautions of runaway AI development. So it's interesting. I think it's very much we just don't know, right? Like there's no way to even predict where we'll be in November 2024 when your book drops. And that is, as you say, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. But it's very real. And I think that's the only piece I always try to stress to the HR community. This isn't like a wait and see thing. Like this is something you need to get in there now. And I want to kind of use that as a segue to your upcoming book. So Employment is Dead. Love the title. That certainly grabbed my attention, as I imagine that most readers. What do you really walk me through the book? What do you hope readers take away from the book? And why was it important for you to kind of get this out in the world? Yeah, I mean, it, the idea for the book came as I was consulting as an HR employee experience design consultant for a firm. We were in the heat of the pandemic working with large organizations, enterprises who are dealing with real problems with trying to customize individual schedules, trying to design experiences that employees love, trying to do all of that, right? And there was a moment where I just thought, you know, it's not, this isn't really a people problem. It's not a the boss is bad or that employees are lazy. Some of the labels that we like to throw around at each other. The problem is the structure of work, that we are using outdated models for work that no longer serve us. And when you really peel that back, you start to see that, yes, these models that served us very well in the industrial age, it's not working for us today. It's like putting Model T parts on a Ford Mustang. It's just not compatible. And so, especially when you look at the rising generation, we are, as HR, we are fully unprepared to engage that generation. A generation that pushes back on inefficiencies, that won't do work unless they know why it's important or knowing what role they play in that. And, and a world that is so, they're so used to things moving so fast by the influencers that they see on TikTok to you know, the hustle of doing their own thing as a freelancer and putting it out into the world, selling merch. Like they came up in a different world. And so they don't see a career like you know, the executives that are in power today see it. It's not climbing the, the, the corporate ladder anymore. It's life is short. I have a lot of passions. I want to figure out how to monetize that and live my best life. And that model will not be combat compatible to what is here today. And so we write about the eight principles of decentralization. We talk about the youth quake, this younger generation who's coming into the workforce and has a different mindset on all of these things and how we can develop partnerships instead of this top-down contractual employment model that we're used to, which is I pay you a certain amount of money, you give me a certain amount of hours. We're tracking product productivity, but why are we not tracking fulfillment of our employees? Why are we not tracking 
the individual schedules that they have, right? Most employees found during the pandemic that they loved working late at night or taking a walk in the middle of the day or working from home where they can get their laundry done or be there to pick up the kids. And so I don't think it's fair to return to that model that doesn't work anymore. And we're seeing that power struggle, right? The dynamics right now are very fascinating. But the book essentially talks about employment, the structure is dead. It no longer serves us. And we need to embrace workforce ecosystems that not only help the individual, but also greatly impacts the company. Well, let's, I mean, as you mentioned, you've done a ton of research for the book and just for your career, even before the book. What's one piece of data, one statistic, one finding that surprised you that really kind of ran counter to your assumptions and expectations? Yeah, I think the, the thing that surprised Deborah and I the most as we were pulling this together is how much we are already living in this way within organizations. And most organizations aren't quite aware of that. But when we ask a question directly, like what amount of your workforce is, is full time? What amount is part time? What amount is remote? What amount is con contractor? How many freelancers do you work with? And the data shows that most organizations right now are about 50%. They are 50% full-time, 50% leveraging the ecosystem around work. And moving away from you work for this organization only to a project-by-project -project base way of working. So, so that was the, bi the biggest surprise is like, oh, we've already realized this. We're already making the changes. And, and that's kind of like a web 2.5 version, I would say. Like we have this workforce ecosystem. It's, we kind of hold people together through W9s and all the other technical ways of employment. But a web three jump would be, well, let's collect all of this data and let it sit on the blockchain. That way we can track each end. So, so when I say blockchain, essentially that is just the infrastructure that we use to be able to verify um, any piece of information online. So if I have a group of employees or if I have a, you know, a bunch of contracts that, that, that we store in order to understand where everyone is at, now we can leverage a smart contract, which essentially it is a contract that is self-executing and it's digital. So a team can come together and say, we're working on this project. We will hit these milestones. We will be compensated this much. If there's any discussion or any issues, we can vote on that using the tokens that we've been given. And we can move on this project so much faster than a traditional, I'm the manager, let me run this up the chain, let it come back down, then I'll get back to you. It will allow us to move faster, more independently, and I just get really excited about it to see what is possible and how it removes some of these inefficiencies that are really creating a bad experience for employees. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. It's going to be a roadmap for the world to work ahead. And this is a super unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We don't know what's going to happen, obviously, in November 2024 when this book drops, but I'm going to extend that out to 2030. You can dig that crystal ball back out, right? Yeah. Bring that back out. We're not going to hold you to this, but if you had to take a stab based on what you know now and the research you've done and everything, the, the culmination of your experience, what do you think that world of work of 2030 will look like? Yeah, another great question. It's always fun to think about that, right? Especially since like, I have young kids, seven, four, and two, and they are going to be living in this world and I get to observe them. 
Um, my, my seven-year-old is an avid Fortnite player. He loves it. And we have an amazing neighborhood here. There's a lot of kids. We love to play outside. But what I notice most days is that his friends will run across the street, open the door, say, oh, you're on? Cool. Shut the door. Go back home. Get on their PlayStation or their computer and play Fortnite together. And yes, it's great. Parents, we need to go outside. We need to run. We need to have fresh air. I get that all. But these kids already view these digital worlds as way more immersive, as way more fun. And that is the future where they can go in and they don't have to sit at a desk. We're talking about work specifically. They can walk into an immersive world. They can tinker and they can try new things and they can be creative on their own. We're already seeing that developed in these games. There's a creative mode where you can invite a whole community into your world and you get paid as a contributor. And so I follow companies like The Sandbox or any other DAO that is already tokenizing work, that is already creating digital jobs where you can be a digital influencer or a real estate agent and living and breathing in these digital worlds, it's only gonna get better and more immersive to the point where I don't think we are going to be living just physically without the digital component. I think everyone is gonna be working digitally. Well, all the listeners in uh, commercial real estate just cringed a bit thinking of that future, but I think you're right. Like, I think it is a space and, and you know, what does it mean to connect? What does it mean to commune? I think those definitions will be evolving as this new world of work and especially this vision that you describe and lay out, uh, take hold. Josh, it's been, it's always fun catching up with you. I'm excited for your book. Employment is dead. Check that out. November, 2024. This is going to be a simulating read. You're going to want to check it out. If the audience wants to connect with you after the show, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I would say this is non-traditional. At Josh Treen, my name, on TikTok. I post videos almost every day and am very active on YouTube. You can obviously reach me on LinkedIn. That's probably the most professional way to do it. We are engaging a young audience in a way that makes sense to them. So I'd love to see you there and love to engage in conversation with you. All right. Well, Josh, congrats again on the book. I'm excited to read it. And thanks for the work you do to give us uh, a lens into what the future holds. Thanks, Lars. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.